listening to Loving the Snow Life with Emma and Tennille. Tennille, our mum, and Emma, her awesome friend, share deep passion for the snow. They started the podcast together to share all their experiences with you. Between them, they have skied over 95 resorts, both held ski instructor qualifications, lived and worked in resorts, and still spent every hard-earned dollar skiing. They set their lives up around snow travel, and our ski bags are always packed, ready to go. We're certainly not complaining about this, are we? No way. And even better, we get to share all the experiences. Our guest today is TJ Ballin, Operations Manager for Points North Heli and their Heli Ski Lodge in Alaska. He talks with us today about what it's like relocating to Revelstoke, Canada for the past three summers, Alaskan heli skiing, drone photography in the great outdoors, and his move back to Victoria, Australia with his family. Hey, TJ, how's it going? Good, how are you? Great, great. Greetings from Sydney. And uh, to you from Revelstoke in Canada. Nice, nice. So, TJ, today we've got you in because... You've, you're you're a man about everywhere in this in the ski hills and the uh, mountains in Australia and in Alaska and Canada. You've been involved in the ski industry for quite some time, um, and now you've had a summer in Canada. A couple of summers, yep. <laughs> we thought um, we'd start off with the summers actually to to do a little bit of a spin on our loving the snow life. Tell us about a summer in Revelstoke and the mountain bike scene. Well, we uh, we weren't actually a biking family before we came over here. We uh, Finn couldn't even ride a bike, and he's now on his fifth bike in three summers of being over here. Um, but we got over here, and of course, the uh, the pandemic hit, and everybody in town was buying a bike. And there's bike racks on every other vehicle in town here, so it was like, well, we better do this and get on to it, and. You can't really pick a better place. It's kind of the mecca for mountain biking around this area. There's a, um, a vast network of trails uh, on three different mountains around us. And then uh, for a chunk of period of time, Revelstoke Mountain opens up a bike park, which has just been opened about a week ago. And I've already had, I think it's, they've been open 10 days and I've been up there nine out of the 10 days this, this last week, just uh burning around and getting as much in as I can. So from a beginner's point of view, would you send over an Australian over to Revelstoke to start to begin? Is it a bit intimidating? Uh, I had zero time on a mountain bike my entire life. Uh, from the time I was probably like 19, uh, I've been chasing the snow. And uh, so, and especially when I met my wife, she was Australian. Um, and then we started going back and forth from winter to winter. So we, for the first 10 years of our life, we kind of did um a year our winters in north america and then come back to the winter in australia and work really hard to earn more money to go back and do it again and so i never really spent any time on a bike and so when i came here i was so green and had no idea what i was doing i walked into the bike shop and said to the girl you know that was selling me a bike which i ended up working at later on but saying you know she's trying to sell me 27.5 or asking me if i wanted 27.5 tires or 29 inch tires and i'm like i have no idea what you're even talking about she's like 27.5 nimble and quick and 29 big and a little bit more chunky and a little bit more aggressive and at that point i was like well i'm definitely not aggressive so i think i'll go with the 27.5 and but uh and now you know i'm i've i was just checking my strava today because i'm a real stats freak and i'm just short of four thousand kilometers in three summers now of of biking so wow i 
Yeah. Yeah. I took, I took to it like a uh, duck to water and I'm, I've got a very addictive personality. So once I got my head wrapped around and because of the way our life has been working over here in the last little while, uh, Mon, who you guys did a um, podcast with a while ago on our plus yeah. snow stuff, um, that was all, she's working at night. So during the day I'm doing the dad thing and cooking and cleaning and taking care of kids and schools and everything else. So I have a bit of free time as soon as they're gone to school. And so that's the first thing I do. As soon as they're gone, I'm just on my bike. And often it takes from where we live, I can bike up to the hill in less than three minutes. And from my house to say the nearest like uh, cross country or enduro trails is only about 10 minutes. Wow. So And it's endless. So wow. there's just all around. So you come over here and you, you know, I, th- I think it'd be um intimidating for the first couple of rides you went out but after that you kind of like get the gist of how things work trail etiquette uh the biggest thing for me was like just learning from other people in town about efficiency and like not feeling like my lungs were going to pop out of my chest at any given point and as soon as I did that and started riding with all sorts of different qualities of riders it just my level of riding has just gone through. I've, I've basically like I've been to bicycle boot camp over the last. What a place yeah, to do it, Revelstoke. Exactly right. <laughs> Have you dabbled in any of the other summer sports over there? And done um, yeah, well, look, uh, we would be silly not to be doing a lot of hiking. So we did a, in the last couple of summers, especially we did a lot of hiking, kind of offset that with our biking. Uh, Ellie is really taken into the climbing around here, so she is part of the Alpine Club of Canada, which offers all sorts of crazy. Um, programs for kids to keep them involved in the outdoors she went touring six times this summer or this winter with them with cmh guides and wow um, they have mount, mountaineering um things that you pay like a hundred dollars for and they they literally fly you up to the top of mount begby and then you go hike from there and with your backpacks and stuff so um and then finn our youngest is really like he was he's sadly he's not like this skier of our family he doesn't he loves it but he does it's not like the the other three of us who we just we breathe it where he took on to mountain biking like i said before he didn't couldn't couldn't bike he was just over six years old when we came here originally and couldn't bike at all and now he's riding it down <laughs> yesterday we went out on a couple of really techie trails and I followed him with the GoPro behind him. And I was just like, the whole time you can hear me on the GoPro going, oh, oh, geez. oh, God, oh, oh. You know, like, oh, my God, you're giving me, a, like, you look amazing. And it's, you're so fast and you're getting air now. And I was just like, but riding behind you is really scary all of a sudden. Oh. So, so <laughs> yeah, so now we've. Blossoms, huh? Yeah, that's exactly right. So that's, so, uh, yes, we've, we've really, like, when we came here, we weren't, like, there was no summer in our equation. Like we did a massive whiteboard before we moved over here with all the different mountains and the snow quality and the tent, the terrain and schools and jobs and everything else. But summer was not even close to being on the list. And, and then uh, it turned out to be in the second year that we were here, it turned out to be one of the major reasons we stayed just because we wanted to. And then we pushed back the trip a little bit more after I came home from Alaska, just so that I could get a little bit more biking in before we came home to the middle of winter. Is there some things that you can bring home from Canada with regard to biking? Do you think you'll have a chat to our mountains, like, and just go, okay, I've se- I've lived this and breathed this now. Let's yeah. see up in summer. Is that maybe an? 
Yeah, I definitely think we'll be spending more time in the mountains in the summertime now because it's never been a thing. And Australians, you obviously all love the, the beach. And my wife is no different to that. She's grown up on the beach and her dad's got a big boat and fishes and all the, you know, ocean yeah. life, basically. Yeah. So I think all of that will. I, and I hate just I hate the sand. I hate the beach. <laughs> I'm the opposite. I just I, I sat down in this. We rented a house down at the beach for one summer to see if we were going to like it. I sat down on the beach and I was running my hands through the sand. And I said to my wife, I was like, I've worked it out. I worked out why I don't like the beach. And she's like, what? And I was like, the sand. It's, just, it's, it's everywhere. a big component it's, of going to the beach, though. It's, every, it's in everything. It's in everything. And then we got to hose our children off afterwards. Oh, and, yeah. Well, yeah, that's it. So. I mean, I'm I'm on the northern beaches. You should see my car. You would not like it. Yeah, right? Sand everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. And then you bring it home, and then it's in your bathtub, and all the other, you know, it just goes on and on. So anyway, but uh, I think that sort of thing will allow us to now go up to the mountains a little bit more, especially because it's cooler. I don't deal with the heat especially well. I've learned over 25 years of living in Australia to to deal with it, but I don't enjoy the heat. So going up there and still being able to actually do something. I think that's another reason I don't enjoy the beach. I don't sit, I don't sit well. I don't like, I don't, I'm not a, I don't sunbake and then doing stuff in the heat is, you know, it's sweaty. It's true. Camping is a lot of sitting and a lot of going, look at that. Like I'll get up and I'll go for a swim now. I'll come back and I'll sit. And then you sit. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just not a big sitter. I, I've never. Been, I've never been that way. ADHD. You know. I'm just like I gotta, gotta be moving. Gotta be doing. Which you know comes back to all the things we were talking about. Emma is like, I have been in the Australian industry now since I was 22. I'm gonna be 50 in a couple months. So I started in a shop in Melbourne, and then because Mon and her family owned a shop when we met, but I refused to work with or for my girlfriend at the time. And so I went to a whole different shop and that took me into the wholesale side of things and working in distribution with a couple of companies. And then uh, took a little break for a while and then it just kind of sucked me back into it. And then, um, yeah. And then we closed our stores uh, in 2014 and I opened up a I started a drone company um, and started doing a lot of aerial media for uh, Hotham and Falls originally, and then um, did a little bit of side stuff for Buller just because that's where our lodge is, is up there. So, um, and that just took me into a different aspect of of the ski industry. You know, now I was... In 2014, that would have been really early drone kind of technology. It was was extremely early. Yeah. Yeah. I I was... Kind of at the stage where I was just finished, like you had to manually build your drones to get them out there. And so I was right at that end of that part. And then that's when companies like DJI started to like manufacture, you know, made drones. Here you go, pull it out of a box and start. And is that how how you started high angle shots? Like you got into the photography from the drones? Yeah, that's exactly right. So I, um, it started out with the drone and, and funny enough, because the first year we did it, I was still going up to Alaska quite consistently taking tours from our shop so that's a a backup step there is a through our stores we were taking tours to japan um for two to three weeks at a time and then uh we did that for about four i want to say about four years five years and then 
in the back of my me and mons my wife's minds alaska was always the it and it is but it, for us it was that pinnacle like we need to get up here while we can ride while we're young enough to like yeah. put up with all the sensory stuff that alaska feeds you and um so about year four or five somewhere in there we decided we were going to run a tour to alaska and i basically then i, I sent a, a letter to every single operation in alaska and i ended up in one in valdez which is just kind of southeast of um anchorage and we had two seasons there and um on the second season another company who could see at that point socially like Facebook and stuff that we were doing these trips and it was getting bigger the first year we took at that point in Japan we were taking probably about 20 people at a, at a go mm -hmm. and then uh the first trip to Alaska it's basically like double the cost of going to Japan yeah. flights and 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 then your heli time and everything on top of that so then we had probably I don't want to say about seven or eight people in our first year then about 12 to 15 in our second year and then uh all of a sudden we were up to 20 people at a time for two weeks at a go and like it, it's not cheap so you know you we were talking like seven grand American a week yeah, um, yeah. for us at that time and so or sorry back then it was about five and a half grand so about seven grand American or Australian and so to dedicate two weeks, you know, and go through the whole process with Alaska, because Alaska is its own, it's its own beast. Um, it's, you have to be, um, be prepared for the mental game that is Alaska, because Alaska giveth and Alaska taketh away. So is that because of the weather? Is it predominantly because of the weather? And you have to factor. find you. Yep. It's a huge factor. So we... You know, I, I've always told people, if you go up there with a 50% mentality, uh, you're not going to be disappointed when you leave and don't fulfill all your days. Because a, a week, your trip is a Saturday to a Saturday. And it really just depends on how your week goes. You know, you could come in and get amazing bluebird skies for two days straight. And you'd be like, oh, this is amazing. And then all of a sudden for five days, you're sitting you know and you're and you're waiting out storms and stuff like that and so it's like oh i came in in a high and i've had the best time of my life and then you're like oh but i wanted more and so then there's the you, other can you orientate us a little bit with the whole alaska thing like why you chose that one in particular that location versus others well i think um i mean i'm a bit biased obviously i work for these guys but um this operation i'm with points north Halley out of cordova alaska yeah. Um, they're now, this will be next season will be their 25th year being up there. So they're OG Alaska. Like these guys were, there was, there wasn't any rules back in the day when they started this whole thing. It was a free for all cowboy, you know, it was Alaska. You were paying like $25 a run to go up and all of that sort of stuff. Um, we Man, are, I was a monk at 25 years ago. Why wasn't I in Alaska? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, <laughs> so this is for us. I mean, I've been going now, uh, 2007 was my first year that I yeah, went up wow. there. So it's a long, a long time. I've, uh, again, I'm a stats man. I have, I think I finished out this year with like 400, I'll be at 452 runs uh, wow. out of a helicopter in Alaska, which is, you know, that's no joke. I, and it's, I, it sounds boasty, but it's, it's more for me. It's a, um, 
every year I go up there, I just test myself again. You know, it's just, it's never ending. The mountains change, the weather changes, the snow quality changes, the, the everything. And I think out of points North, we have such a massive, massive tenure. Like it's, it's absolutely huge. Um, so, and it's, I dare say we have the biggest ten- tenure out of all the operations up there. Wow. Uh, we only go, just got this new forest service permit um, last year, which is just the, like it's almost quadrupled our tenure. In comparison. So in summer, because you get that in, you get that given to you, the forest permit. So in summer, do you go up in summer groom? Do they go up? Nope. In, no, it's just the snow that falls. And- no, there's no, there's no grooming. There's no tree, you know. No trees. Thinning. You're above no, alpine. Oh, yeah, there's no trees. Yeah, we are 100% alpine. Yeah, if we hit trees, we've gone really low. We've, is that the difference not- between the Canadian? operations and the alaskan operations so 100%. you've got yeah okay yeah, yeah 100 so uh i were when we arrived in revelstoke i was working for cmh canadian yep. mountain Hel- Hel- uh, Hel- canadian mountain holidays we had to figure that one out again and um they have a i was just like my mind was so completely like shifted working for these guys because their program is so completely different. They cater to a completely different clientele than we do. People who are going to Alaska still have this gumption to get after it yeah. um, because they're going, I think, and it was one of the reasons me and Mon were, it's like, you know, after watching so many movies and, and just drilling ourselves with this information, are we good enough? You know, and that's, that was, that's always the question with Alaska. Are you good yeah. enough? I think that's the question with heli skiing in general, mm-hmm. but I think that, um, Companies like CMH, they really cater to the person who has a, you know, a, a decent sized wallet, um, who this is a lot of the time, it's their only skiing that they do for the year. Uh, it is very five star. Everything they do is five star. There's no question about it. Their service is outstanding. Um, but the skiing is different, you know, like they can ski Uh, almost daily because even in the weather the biggest thing for them is wind that's the one thing that they can't really put up with because that starts blowing the chopper around and visibility gets awful but they can unlike us like if it's snowing in alaska we can't ski we just can't because we have no trees we have no rocks we have no depth perception as to what you know what we're skiing on so a helicopter pilot has a lot of problems coming in and landing on something if he can't tell how far away the ground is because he's blowing up snow underneath him and then just landing in these super precarious landing spots which is another big difference a lot of the heli operations in alaska fly or in canada fly with 212s the big big helicopters that have 11 12 people in them and a a couple of guides and we fly in a stars only so it's four people and a guide that's it oh my gosh that sounds like me <laughs> I, want, I want that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. when you, so because I obviously haven't heli skied. I, I have in New Zealand, but never in you know like in the real in, in, in out of Revy or up in Alaska. And it's New definitely New a dream. Zealand still New Zealand still real heli skiing. If you were in a yeah, helicopter, well, you got out of it. Yeah, yeah, true. But, <laughs> like, but, it, it, but it was still you know you get out of the glacier. You know, like yeah. so. But it's kind of you go to Alaska and you you teetering on the edge there. I mean. How yeah. many times do you have to be able to go to Alaska before they allow you to ski that type of slope? You know, uh, is, think can you instantly go into that area if you can go, hey, I can ski or no? No, 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 no. What's the ability level sort of thing? 
Yeah. Well, I think the ability level, I mean, our tenure, as I said to you, the terrain and everything we have is massive. So we have something for absolutely everybody who comes up there. The key to the whole thing is your helicopter and your group, right? How many people? So if you come up on your own, you're being put with people that you don't know and you don't know how you ski. And so the rule with any heli skiing is that you ski as fast as the slowest person. That's just the rules. So um, I think to answer your question, any level can go. Uh, when can you start riding the monsters? Um, I, th- I think I-, I find with people generally that they uh, undergrade themselves when they go to Alaska. I've had a lot of really amazing clients come up there and I've probably taken 150 plus people up there just from Australia. And I want to, and a lot of those were returners as well too. Like we're going to do this once this is our bucket trip. And then they're like, Oh my God, this is better than crack. I'm going to go do this all the time. <laughs> I reckon that would be me. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, Oh yeah, well, I don't need a house. I need to just keep doing this for a while. Um, Live in the moment. I think, I think that, I think the monster, a lot of people, when they come up, they really undergrade themselves and they're like, I can ski and I, there's not much. I can't ski in a resort. Um, and I've maybe been heli skiing in New Zealand or in Canada or something. Can I go here? And it's yes, uh, you can, you've just got to prove to the guides in your first couple of runs, like, um, that you are, you are physically capable, uh, and mentally capable because mental, the mental game in Alaska is, is seriously just as big as the physical game. We have massive runs. It's like three, you know, the average runs two and a half to two and a half to three thousand feet from top to bottom wow. in powder. What's Revistoke? Right? Uh, we are at the top of the mountain here is fifty six twenty. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah. three three quarters of this from top to bottom every yeah. run. You know, wow. so it's it's big. That's so big. mentally, yeah. mentally again, you've got to kind of be going. So you can say to somebody, and and we get the other side of things too. You're going to get people who are like, oh, I can ski anything, rah, 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 and then they get out there and you drop them on something. They're like, oh, oh shit, I don't, I don't, I'm not I'd that Yeah, I don't <laughs> know. Man. To the edge. Why can't I see over the edge? You know, and that's another part of it because a lot of the times. We have this AK rollover where you just you land on something, but you cannot see the run and you can't see the person when they when they go over the edge, they're gone, you know, until they pop yeah. out under the glacier way below you a lot of the times. And so there's a real mental game, obviously, that goes with it. So to get to the beasts, you need to just put in your time. You need to be have all these boxes ticked. The yeah. guides need to know you. You know, that's another thing is there's some yeah. guys up there. There's a couple of really amazing Australians, um, Matt Ward and Michael Dickinson. Uh, Michael Dickinson is a um, Dicko is a, uh, a Aussie um, Olympian. Sorry. Oh yeah. And so he, so him and then there was guys like um, Jono um john o'brower craig branch who kind of all been up there but you know and these guys dicko and another guy matt ward um they are known as the land and sleigh crew so they come up our kind of our little hashtag tagline up in in points north is land and sleigh and uh they're kind of known as the land and sleigh crew because they've been coming up for 10 plus years and they are patient they put in their time two to three weeks a trip so when yeah. they come up here, they're not doing a week and then going, oh, I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. They know the game. You know, they you come up, you put your time in. And when you get your time in and then 
<clears throat> you can show you got patience <laughs> first and foremost. <laughs> Yeah. But then the guides get to know, you know, as they take you out and as the conditions allow. And obviously that's a massive part, you know, conditions have to allow you to get on to these sorts of things. And this year was phenomenal. We had a, an amazing snowpack up there and all the monsters got ridden and, you know, wow. it was so, yeah, so to, you know, long winded answer, but you have to yeah. just, you have to put in the time and you have to, I mean, it always helps to come back to the same operation as well too, right? Because you're coming back. And we're a big family. There's people there like in our middle weeks, four, five, six, seven, that area is all returners every single time. And it's like we have 40 to 50 people show up every Saturday. And these guys, yeah, every Saturday. So do do they just kind of stay downtown in um, Cordova? No, we have have our own lodge. It's called the Orca Orca Cannery. So back in the early 1900s it was actually a fishing cannery oh, awesome. um, and it our, i literally could spit into the water from our from our base so yeah. we're on the pacific ocean it's it's absolutely beautiful up there so we have a lodge a big lodge that sits up there and then we have three helicopters that sit outside the lodge and then when it's go time it's the it's out, eat your breakfast and go out the door and take off straight from there and um, what's your demographic right um uh, definitely mostly male um, I'd say in the last few years, though, we're seeing a lot more females come up um, for sure. Uh, but I would have to say I'm going to go like late 20s to probably early 50s. Yeah, that's right. probably our kind of like main part. And it's, you know, the the late 20s, you're either a, a solid professional that can afford it or you're the the consummate like we were we were just the consummate ski bums and that's all yeah. we wanted to do is just and so we saved all our money to do it and you know it was supposed to be one of our basically supposed to be our bucket list thing and it just turned into a hey why don't you keep bringing people up here mm-hmm. and then that was we did that for about so that was five years of japan and then we started that it was another five years or t- so in there so we're talking like early 2000s and then late two. 2007 was my first year in Valdez and then so I think we did another six years of trips and then um, in 2014 this is when we decided we were going to close our shop and that was when I was going into the drones and the owner Kevin Quinn at the time said so what are you going to do now And because I was like look my customer base is now not as accessible because I don't have a ski shop to bring them in through, but, yeah. uh, and he said, well, what are you going to do now? And I said, well, look, I'm, I'm starting to fly drones. And he basically said, well, why don't you come and do that for me for the season? And I was like, is that a thing? And he's like, I, I own the company. I just made it a thing. <laughs> and so I, I, I have to say that in that time, I was probably the footage I have from 24, 15 2014 2015 would be some of the first drone footage ever in alaska in alaska wow just wasn't a wasn't a thing yet so so with it with the drones do you have to worry about the air temperature sorry sorry, uh, yeah look it up there it's altitude more than anything i can hear the difference in the in the props you know it's all plastic and stuff so you know flying down at the ocean at beside in Sorrento in Australia and flying up at, you know, 5,000 feet at the top of a mountain. It's, you know, it's not generally that cold. I said generally, cause it does obviously get cold, but because we're skiing in sunshine, most of the time, bluebird, it's gotta be bluebird sunshine for our days. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I, I, 
I can hear it in the drone, but I'm, I've, I've adjusted to it. You know, I kind of, yeah. I lost one. I lost one a few years ago, um, which we went and found a white drone in the, in the snow, in the mountains. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a massive day. We'd had a huge day out and, uh, I was actually flying with the boss and she was like, what do you mean you lost the drone? And I was like, it ran out of batteries and it crashed. And she's like, well, we can't leave it out here. It's got a GoPro full of footage from the day on it. And I was like, it's your helicopter. It's your helicopter. If you want to go look for it, let's go look for it. And within well, awesome. like three minutes, we went around the corner of this. Like I literally had no idea where it was. And we went around the corner of this this uh range and there was this she's like there it is and i was like what are you talking about and it was she'd seen the bomb holes like the trail of it had rolled down the mountain so it had landed and then just like sent itself another 1500 feet down this side of the the mountain to the glacier so it was, oh my god how do you get that then do you have to like tip, well, i had to send a guy we had to send a guide in to go get it because it was a, a no ski zone so it wasn't somewhere we were going to go in and and yeah. go over. and he said when he got down there there was crevasses all over the place and the memory card was like literally just hanging out of it so i have a, a video of the whole thing rolling down the mountain and then it just stops dead and and the video stops and he said when he went to go pick it up the the memory card was hanging out of it and he shoved it into his pocket and zipped it up and then through the uh, man through that the was head. meant to be that you were meant to get that drone right? <laughs> that footage that was <laughs> yeah. so meant to be well one me that that actually started some that that run that I lost it on, I got an amazing picture of a guide named J- Jason Bielek, who's a really good friend of mine, on this big open slope with a, a shadow line between it. And he's got these three big, big S turns on the side of it. And I got a picture of it. And that won me a, a National Geographic Award um, in 2015 for uh, top drone photos at that time, oh because gosh. they just they weren't a thing at that point. So to have one that was out in the middle of the mountains was pretty, um, pretty unique at the time. It's not anymore, but uh, do you have to, is it, is it hard to get? Cause I mean, you, you just cannot throw, put a drone out and take footage. So you've got to work. Yeah. With well, for me, it was like, uh, almost a year's worth of schooling. I had to do, believe it or not, back in the day, they didn't have all the instruction and information that they needed. So, the rules were constantly changing every about three months when I was going through the licensing program in, um, in Australia. And I actually had to go and do a private pilot's theory. So everything except for flying the plane, learning how to land at airports and how to call towers and all the rest of it. And I'm looking at the instructor going, I'm never going to do any of this stuff. And he's like, I know, but this is all we have for you right now. And then that got changed. And then in order that gives you a, a license, like a pilot's license. And then on top of that, if you want to own your own company, you have to have what's called an operator certificate, which I went for and passed. And and that's what started high angle shots originally was that, that whole process. So the, um, fr- the front page, uh, the front cover of the current chill factor, that's your photograph, isn't it? That is not my photograph. No, that that is uh, Harrow's photograph, who I think oh. you also did a little thing for. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah. but the picture is related. Uh, you, you're you're sort of there. It's um, that's uh, a buddy. Uh, he is a chef at our lodge at Points North. Uh, um, on the day that that was shot, um, actually. We'd had a fairly major episode. It's the only time we'd had a, an incident out in the field, and a guy broke his leg um, out in the field. 
and Harrow and Buddy were waiting for a spot to come up in the afternoon. And because I'm I'm the ops manager, so it's kind of my call when they can go out and as long as Helly's come back with people and all the rest of it that goes along with it. But at about with about two hours left in the day, a heli came in and I was like, all right, we call it a fire drill. I was like, you guys are on this, like, go get get out of here now. And uh, two hours later, they came home with that shot. And that was just like a pure fluke that yeah. it all the stars just kind of because it, it was Harrow's last day as well, too. So he wasn't even going to be able to shoot anymore. And he hadn't had a chance to get out in the heli and came oh back. Gosh. And he's like, I think I got the cover shot. All standing around and because we'd found that cave uh early on in the season we found probably about i want to say we found about four big ice caves this year to ski through um which is obviously a fairly unique experience for everybody but so that that one one of the biggest ones sorry um are you finding that people want more of those different experiences like are they going oh okay so do you think that ice cave will sell you guys for next year and go right i'm going to points north or they just want a hilly experience no yeah they're there that that's an added on to the experience you know sort of deal and that area that we that they're going to it's an area um called uh over by targetto and it's a um it's in one of i want to say it's in our older tenure it's still in our tenure but we were really kind of trying to like branch out into some of the new stuff this year and a lot of the times we'll take you down there if like the day is turning kind of to shit you know the clouds are starting to come in the skiing's okay but not great you can't see well let's go down and see this thing but i mean we have so many other things to do on the down days that you kind of forget that you're down you know what, and can, then what I, can you do on your down days like or if you're uh, a non-skier for a non-skier oh, we, i mean we're we're literally right at the toe yeah <laughs> sorry go, go to the go to the beach um we, uh, who's better on your date <laughs> yeah, how did my question is how did you get there in the first place yeah, yeah that is so i've got to say when i met my husband i was just like <laughs> i am never going out with a non-scare ever again i don't i think like, is my, um, my yeah, that's training right. process yeah that's right and i think that's like anybody i mean you guys would have the same i guarantee you guys have had the same conversation with somebody along the way who is a skier and has brought a hey this is my new girlfriend or boyfriend but they don't ski and you look at them like this. Hmm. That's bad research. When, I wonder, yeah. I wonder when this is going to, how long is this going to last? Yeah. That's not long. <laughs> like not at all. Like she's yeah. never been to the snow at all though. Yeah. 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 You know, you have to, you have to teach a couple of, um, you know, ex-boyfriends to ski a couple of times and then it's like, no, not doing, yeah, this. We'll do not this. living like this. <laughs> um, we are right at the toe of all the glaciers so we can take you out glacier. We actually added a new product product to our um to our down days this year it's uh, out to an oyster farm so we actually have this beautiful alaskan boat to take you out to the middle of you know nowhere and show you where they're producing these oysters and they pull them up right out of the water and hose them off and then slap them on the boat and a few bottles of champagne and you know beer later and some nice. oysters and you've had a great day yeah so like- Rock oysters are they kind of baby Pacific ones? Oh no, these are like these are monsters, and I'm not even a huge that that was my training ground this year. I think was I've 50 years of my life I've I've absolutely hated oysters, but they were all like, "Come on, 
this is Alaska. Like this is, they just came out of the water just there. You got to eat them. And I was like, all right, here I go. So and I, I did all right. I did all right. But then I was like, can I have whatever the smallest one is? Because yeah. there's some of them that are, look like it's some sort of giant tongue. And I'm just like, I'm not yeah. into that. If it doesn't yeah, go down in one, like, yeah, one no, quick I, just, one, I don't want it. If I have to chew it. it. Bacon, Kilpatrick. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, there I... you go. Oh, yeah, there was none of that. These were out of the ocean, shocked down your throat. Here That's you pretty go. cool. My like, dad so, and husband would yeah. love that, but yeah. What so, about yeah, those so... king crabs, talking about food? Like, I mean, in Japan, yeah. you get the crabs, but I haven't had an Alaskan king crab. I've had the... They're the amazing. Yeah. Um, they are easily the size of your arm, the legs oh. that are on these things, like wrist to shoulder sort oh. of deal. Yeah, uh, you'd have normally you'd go out, you pay kind of by the pound for it. I think we were paying this year. Don't, don't quote me, but I want to say it was about 70 or 80 bucks American a pound. So what is that? A hundred, hundred, hundred and ten bucks a pound. Give or take. So oh, it's <laughs> we're paying like, I don't know, $90 for a hundred grams in Australia. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> this is, and they come out and I mean, they're, I don't know if you've ever watched the deadliest catch, but Love that's it. The, so this is one of the ports that we in Cordova, this is where they kind of come through. And yep. then um, in the last two years, actually, there's a new, I want to say it's a new crab, but they've actually been able to harvest this tanner crab, which is basically like a baby spider crab. Yeah. Um, but it's a little less expensive, not quite as nice as, I mean, the grand Uba of, of crabs, but <laughs> yeah. still, still beautiful. But it's only been in the last two years because of the, um, Exxon Valdez ruined all the fishing grounds when it crashed and had yeah. the massive oil spill up there. So it yeah. had a huge, huge effect on the fishing um, industry in Alaska when that went down. And not just in Valdez, but just everywhere Everywhere. Around that area. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Food's amazing um, yeah. up there. So, it, so it, what's the process? Like, how far out can, do you have to book for the heli skiing? Like, are you going to be able to just hang out and go right? There's a spare day. Do you, is there any of that no. going on, or no? No, because it's a you book by the week um, yeah. to go up there. And the I want to say the problem good for us right now. We're we're pretty solidly booked. I want to say we're definitely almost booked out next year and the following year we'll start to be booked out pretty quickly after that. So when the pandemic hit, um, every heli skier from the U S uh, that could no longer ski in Canada because we closed the borders for a year and a bit, uh, automatically booked for Alaska. Um, so they basically took up all these, these excess seats. I say yeah. very loosely, but like I said, it's also such a really, really different product that you either are with it and because you were good with, you know, like, wow, I had an amazing time, but I only skied a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And then you yeah. have the other side of things. It's like, well, this is not five star. You know, yeah. we're not a five star thing, but we are the true Alaskan experience. So when you say not five star, you know, the whole thing about a ski holiday or snowboarding holiday is you can start with the bunk beds that you bring your own cushion pillows and everything yeah. how what where does it lie between five star and bunk beds bring your own sheets like what are well, you looking our, at ours, uh, we're, it's a it's for us we're we're like a nice hotel right but we don't have a pool we don't have the, you know the the facilities that go along we've got okay wi-fi uh depending on where you are in the lodge but i mean we're like from cordova we're i want to say it's 
we're like four miles, five miles out from Cordova. So we're not even in town. We're really just our own village out there. Yeah. Uh, but five star for CMH is completely opposite. It's like, you know, big, the, they have 12 lodges uh, across BC and Alberta that it, the majority of them are these ginormous wood cabin logs, you know, just the schmickest of schmicket everything. And there's somebody there to do everything for you. You know, you literally do not have to do anything once you walk in the door. And the joke is if you're hungry, you've gotten too far away from the lodge. Heli heli belly is real. Doesn't matter which heli operation you go to. Heli belly is a, is a thing where, especially in Alaska, where you're kind of sitting around and waiting and drinking beer and whiskey and, Having a few, you know, you're getting three <laughs> meals plus snacks all day. Belly, and, belly. And, yeah. I'd rather that than barley belly, just quietly. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I mean, is it, a, is it a bit of a, does it end up being a drink-a-thon or a, a people pr- kind of going, oh, I've got to yeah. go on heli-skate tomorrow, I'll have a couple of drinks and I'm in bed by nine. Totally. So this, and again, really depends on how your week's going, right? So if you had, if you are watching the weather and we're saying to you, hey, look, it looks like we're going to be down tomorrow. People are like, all right, sweet. I'm taking that sign. You got to remember these people are there for their holiday, right? So they show up. The process of the day, like they get off the plane and the first place we take them to is the liquor store and then bring them (laughs) out to the lodge afterwards. So they all show up at the front door with cases of beer and bottles of whiskey and bottles of wine for dinner and everything else. And then, but if they're in a cycle where they're not, where they're skiing like a lot, um they they eat and then they just disappear everybody just goes to bed you know and they've had a big day as well too you can do like 20 20 to thirty thousand vertical feet in a day anywhere from say six to six to twelve runs a day you know depending on on all things in your heli and uh by the time you're done that you're pretty pooped i have to say pretty exhausted so you're matching skiers and borders as well or are you just you're matching ability or are skiers and borders going up together is it is it is it no i mean it, we try and keep skiers and borders together like especially if we have split groups like people who didn't come together you try yeah. and keep them together skiers and borders read mountains differently um yeah. but grand scale like if bob comes up with his three friends and two of them are of one of each, you know, whatever it is, we're just going to stick them together. And we yeah. deal, we have three snowboard guides and the rest are all, um, um, all skiers. So we have, I want to say there's 12 or 13, there might even be more, say like 12 to 15 guides that we'd have. What, what qualifications do they have? Like how, how highly qualified are they? Oh, they, they, well, we have a couple of guys that are the, the full deal. They're the, the, top end of your mountain guides that you can that you can possibly be and so on our website we've now started to list all their qualifications their courses their you know and there's a few of them that are emts there's a few that are um carpenters there's guys that have worked their way up through the kitchen mm-hmm. you know it's just uh dedication to the mountains out there and just really focusing yeah. and being able to show i think the big bosses originally that you know, that they were keen and that they were safe and doing their job and they made smart decisions, you know, that's yeah. first and foremost. And these guys are all some of my best friends, you know, we're all family up there. We live in our own little village for three months. And every, like I said, every Saturday we get our 50 new people, but the one constant is always the staff, right? We're always yeah. there and always have each other's backs for everything. So, um, 
Sounds it's a little bit just, like Charlotte Pass where I taught skiing, but we had a tiny mountain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's the same thing, right? It's, it's your own thing. little, it's your like own little village. That, that's right. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I've been out with pretty much every single one of these guides up there, and and they're all they're all known for their own things. You know, there's guys up there that are just, they're great guides, but they deal in low key skiers. They're just like, this is, I just want, I don't want to have the stress. I don't want the people to have stress. Mm -hmm. And then you've yeah. got the other opposite, you know, the, the keen young guns that are like, let's get on the steepest thing and that we can find and try and scare you. You know, if you want to go to get scared, Alaska is generally where you go. Yeah. I, yeah. I just want to see a spine. Going. It's an elastic yeah. spine will do me. Yeah. And I mean, even, even that, you know, <laughs> like it's just, that's, that's a mental game because it's the guide. And, and I think a big thing that I've always said to people is if a guide says to you, it's okay to drop over that thing, which to you and your brain and your perception looks like the end of the earth, because as I said, do this AK rollover where you're all standing up on the top of a peak because, and it just drops off straight away. Yeah. Um, you have to know that they're, they, they have your best interest at heart, right? Yeah. And they wouldn't be putting you in these spots if they didn't think that you could actually be there. Doesn't do yeah. them any good. You know, and the yeah. joke is they're, they're not going to get any tips if if they send you to your death. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> the family's certainly not going to tip you. <laughs> no, that's right. So, <laughs> so, so you yeah. Like, you, sorry, you've had so much experience in the snow industry. Yep. Do you find that people go mountain then they go cat skiing, then they go heli skiing. Is that kind of a progression? Do you get a lot of people that have gone cat skiing or they just go mountain heli? Would you go cat skiing before you went heli? Like uh, No, me and Mon actually went uh, our very first heli experience. I want to say it was bad. We're talking like mid-90s here, somewhere in there. We had just finished one of our big, like, we didn't work for six months. Uh, we had just, we came over with, two full credit cards and I think probably 12 grand between the two of us. And we didn't work a, a single day for like seven months. And the whole, I, the whole plan for the end of the season was to end up going heli skiing. So we, you know, we, by this point we'd had a hundred and some powder days of, of when we went up and gone heli skiing and we had the worst trip ever when we went heli skiing. Cause we got put in with, uh, like 10 other people who probably should not have been in. And we were fairly young, you know, like we were probably, um, I'm, I'm guessing like I would have been my early twenties. Mom might even still been a teenager, like 19. And when we told them that we were not working and we'd had a hundred and some days, they kind of looked at us and went, yeah, whatever. And we were like, no, like, this is what we do. This is, we're not yeah, working. Yeah, yeah. And we want to give you our thousand dollars each to go heli skiing. And within the first couple of runs, somebody lost their skis. And, oh. you know, it's just this start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. So we just, we swore we'd never go in a big 212 again, like in the big helicopters, because it's just too, yeah. unless all 11 people in there, you know, it's, it's that big, great unknown to do. So, um, that is a great thought, tip. That is a great tip, actually, because you are spending yeah. a lot of money. So you kind of think, oh, yeah, they're going to put me with people. But, yeah, if they, if they lose a ski, I'm going to lose my mind. No. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Sorry, but it could be me. No, no. And you, yeah. and you do because you, you have. You've paid a lot of money to do this, right? You yeah. want to be put. And so, and that's, and it's not necessarily the heli company's fault because they're only, like, if they have... <laughs> a three and a two and two ones and a, you know, and these other yeah. couple people that 
they've got to fill the helicopter. So that's the way they do it, which is why an A-star is just a way better option because it's you and three other people and a guy, right? And yeah. so you generally, and that was one of the big things with when we originally came up to Alaska is I was kind of sorting that out for people. So I had been, a lot of our clients had come from doing tours with us in Japan. So yeah. I already knew how, I knew how they ride. I knew where their strengths were. I knew who would possibly be good together out of those groups and everything else. And that's what I started doing was placing them. So then here, that's your four. You guys will be skiing together during, if we have to make a change while we're there, because somebody is, you know, not, not loving the steeps, which happens, you know, yeah. we've had people who have like, Oh no, no, put me back in the helicopter. And we're like, well, we, we can't, you're going to have <laughs> to ski this one, but we won't put you back on something like this again. So yeah. Um, and if that's the case, then we do our best to try and you know sort that out for you. But I think it is such a massive bonding experience, like with the people like and I have lifelong friends from Alaska, obviously, that I've I've done some just crazy lines with. And you get down to the bottom. It's like anything, you know, you've had a good time on any ski hill or any mountain. You're high five and, you know, yeah. and, but, uh, you know, there's been points where it's tough enough where there's tears behind the goggles and you're just like wow that was really emotional like what we just did there and you're like i said that whole mm -hmm. mental side of of alaska is, is massive it's yeah. it's really really good i get that you actually you know like in japan we emma's hubby's nuts um and i was like and i've always skied japan with a guide and yeah. i trust a guide because i'm like okay the guy goes get down to that third tree and turn right and if you don't yeah. turn right at that third tree you're hiking out <laughs> you know it's simple. so simple, simple. so so, <laughs> so Emmy, emma's husband we get to i don't know what we were chasing powder because we we're at ferrano and it was like oh my god there's no snow where can we go so we rang our mate grover who works at the ski shop at the burton at nisico and he's like go here so we get in the car, we go there, and, and there's no guide. And I'm like, oh, my God, and there's a lot of snow. What do we do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so I'm like I'm like driving Miss Daisy because I'm like, hey, am I going to go off the cliff? Am I going to? So I'm <laughs> like, with, and it's like, no, it's safe. And I'm like, yeah, Jake, I know what your safe is. I, I like yeah, that's I know you're going to prefer a guide I've never met <laughs> to guide yeah. me. Yeah. But it's and just. It's and do I mean, you know his famous I... words? Trust me. Trust me. Yeah, trust me. Sure. Yeah, I trust you. Yeah. I'll give you bloody trust you. <laughs> I, 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 I try and tell people all the time, like, you were going to experience a much better turn, like, when you have someone that's a guide, even yeah. if it's Japan. Like, we don't do chores to Japan, but for people that do chores to Japan, I'm like, do yourself a favour. Get yourself a guide. You will have the best time ever because they... They're going to take you to the spots. They're going to take you to the places that... Other people aren't going to straight away because they don't have the same information. And yeah. I think with Alaska, the big one is like, you, it is so huge and you stand on some of these things and like a couple of the pictures I've got from this year where we're standing on top, looking down at the glacier and the glacier is literally almost 4,000 feet below us. And it's all one big line, right? You, there's no yeah. break in between it. So visually and mentally, it just turns into this like, wow, this is really big. And so you're learning to even just, read snow, read the mountain, read terrain, and have that guide there to say to you, you know, I had the world's best guide on our first trip up there, this guy, Will Spilo, who is a, just an absolute Alaskan legend. He's, he is full OG. And he, he just, the first 
year that we were up there, he's like, do this, do that. Look at that. You see what this is? See how that snow is right there and see the texture of that. And, and that just started the addiction because now you're no longer sitting in that same boat where you are, where it's like, okay, take three turns and move to the left. Right. Like you now, because a lot of the stuff that we do, uh, like we ride with radios, everything we do is with radios. So yeah. we'll go down and the guide will say to us, cause they normally, depending on the scenario, they're either find a safe spot so that they can find you and see you all the way down from top to bottom, or they'll just let you go and say, okay, we'll see you at the bottom, come out on the glacier if they know and trust and everything that you're going to do. Yeah. And so you, and then that person who gets to the bottom can then turn around with their radio and relay the information back up to the people above. Hey, you know, as you hit this section or you hit that spine, it firms up a little bit or the snow qualities or just fuck it. It's blower, you know, go just let it rip and, and, and go. There's nothing stopping you. Cause the first person's always the Guinea pig testing yes, the, yes. the way down and then you get down and go, that was the most amazing thing ever. I want to do it again. And, and, yeah. and you do it over and over. Can you do the same run over and over if you like it or you wouldn't do it? You'd waste, you'd be wasting your time. Would you? Be I just- don't know. I, I mean, we do. I, I'm not going to lie and say we don't, but, um, yeah. there's there's quite the feeling of opening up runs you know where there's not a single track on them and doing that part yeah. but even sloppy sloppy seconds in alaska <laughs> you know like this <laughs> giant slope and there's four lines coming down the one side of it you're like all right so uh yes we we do go in there but i mean it's the adventure is putting you on something you know new every time if, if we do can you, and do you have um everybody wear the the like the blow up uh like, yeah so airbags top. yep everybody. yeah but like top to bottom like harness underneath mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have um, everybody, uh, unlike Canadian operations, they don't make them wear climbing harnesses, but we do because we have so many crevasses on the glacier and the majority of our skiing comes out onto glaciers. Um, they, so that's all just about glacier rescue if something goes on. And then safety-wise, yes, we're all carrying, you know, the the standard Peeps probe shovel and then uh, you have the choice of an airbag or not Um for me personally, I don't know why you wouldn't want an airbag um, just for the safety sake of it. It's a little bit, a little bit heavier, but it's just that peace of mind in the back, you know, back of your head that you can pull the trigger at any given point. Yeah, Something's going wrong. Do people understand the speed they get when they get to go down steeps? Like, do they, do, or they've already skilled enough by the time they get there. Do you know that when you're on stuff that's super steep, it actually takes longer. It's slower. It's oh. not. It's not fast. Yeah. So we'd get people to come back to the lodge during the day. You know, I'm, I'm not out there every day, obviously I'm the, I'm the lodge manager. So I'm on the, I'm a ground position, but um, we will have people come back into the lodge and they'll be like, Oh, we did 12, 13 runs, you know, and that's in Alaska, that's big, but to me, and then you'll have a whole nother group of really like this, the Matt Wards and the Dickos are come back and say, we did six runs today. And so it's like, they could have been in the same heli except for that group was skiing you know low angle pow having the best time of their life but you know low angle 35 to 45 degree nice fields top to bottom get back in the helicopter go do it again we call it mini golf you know or it's just up down up down up down up down and then you have the and then you have the the big lines that go down and those take time they take roping in they take you know, landing on precarious p- spots. They take a mental ability to 
to go down. And usually it's the first lake, I'll call it, say, you know, anywhere from 500 to a thousand feet that's straight up and down. And yeah. you've got to negotiate that. Then you come out under the glacier and you ride out. And then the next person goes. So it's only one person at a time ever on a slope. Yeah. And so that process alone can slow you down. But the quality of what you've been doing is, is, yeah. is yeah, is straighter. So, you know, there's points uh, where can you get going for sure? But everything has, you have to know that everything from the point that you open the throttle to the point that you're going to take it off. You know, and I've had GPSs up there and I've I've clocked myself on a snowboard at just over a hundred K an hour coming down some of these things in powder, right? Wow. And yeah. so that's fast yeah. and the consequences are massive. Yeah. You know, at the end of it. So that's what I figured. People know. might just get on that wide open and just go, Wow, yeah. I'm like because people are not bags now. Like I just see no, people just, being way just, too just, fast for their ability. And I wonder if that happened. Yeah, no, and I think I think here though, like I said before, I think people really underrate themselves more than they rate themselves, and they get onto some of these landings and have to go over the rollover, and their brains already and their adrenaline is already like just yeah. firing. Everything's just like, oh, you know, this is real. We're here. We have there. a real thing. Yeah, I, I have this. Here, talking it up, going, I want to ski spines. I'd get yeah. there. I'd be like, holy shit it's yeah, well, the big one is jump the big one is jumping spines and everything else people are like oh yeah this is steep this is kind of what i've expected but then yeah. you get the people who are like cliff jumpers and stuff and they're like yeah yeah i want to go out and hit stuff and you're like you're flying into it in a helicopter and they're like yeah look at that thing and the, the guide turns around and goes that's like 200 feet like it yes. doesn't look like it is <laughs> yeah you did but it is massive like it's not <laughs> something you're even going to contemplate doing yeah yeah you know I'm a little bit scared when my I, like I really love steep and fast but when my skis leave the ground for too long I'm like wow no, I really love that feeling because my toes are in front of my boot when I land no, yeah, I, don't, I don't do any kind of jumping since I turned 40 no. Yeah, that's right. And I, like I said, I'm almost 50 this year. And so to take up mountain biking to back up a little bit at this yeah. age and then be riding mm. at at a, like I said, I think I went to bike boot camp this year and in the last couple of years and been riding with a very high quality of rider. But there's still stuff out there that I just look at people and I'm like, you're insane. I'm not going down that. You're, I'm, I've, I, I need to go snowboarding in six months somewhere. So yeah. I don't need, I need all my bits to be where they are. Yeah, that's right. It's yeah. yeah. When you're a parent, you just, I look at it through that lens. I just think, oh no, who's going to, you know, take you to sport and stuff. Yeah. See, that was my wife. That's Mon. I don't know if she told you the story of when she had a massive accident in Alaska and she did uh, two knees and a shoulder in one accident. ACL, oh. ACL, ACL, MCL, ACL, PCL. And then a rotator cuff all in one hit. And uh, from that point on, she got what I clarify as the the mum gene. She just, she shut it all down. She was like, that's it. I'm done. I'm like, I've hit the peak of what I wanted to do and where I wanted to be. And it took her two years to recover from that. And then she came up back to Alaska to try and like, you know, uh, get back on the horse and do it again. And, and she totally got shafted and got ice and it was just, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't good for her, but that, that gene of protection, I don't know. I just, I never, I never got it. Yeah. Men don't. Yeah. 
that run? Oh my gosh, it scares the shit out of me down at Revelstoke underneath the. Is it Kill the Banker? What? Yeah, Kill the Banker. Yeah. Kill the Banker. Oh, yeah. honestly. Both, just... <laughs> both of my kids smashed that in the last couple oh, of years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Really intimidating that run. I mean, I don't know. I haven't. Do you find it intimidating that run at all, or not really? Yeah. Not anymore. And when I rode, I rode it in 2015. I rode a mountain called Pontoon. <clears throat> you can Google it. It's uh, quite a famous mountain in Alaska, but it's seven and a half thousand feet from the top. It's 63 degrees for the first 1,800 feet coming off wow. the peak. Um, and I got the call up to go and ride this thing with all the guides, and we. We did it and it was the most like it was by far the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. No questions, hands down. But when I got to the bottom, the owner of the company was standing down there and he I'll never forget. He looked me in the eyes and and I, I had I'd, I had tears coming out from behind my goggles because I just I couldn't believe that I'd just done that and, and survive like that. I was alive at the end of the whole thing. And uh, he said to me, you're never going to look at any mountain the same ever again. Yeah. The pitch. And I don't. And now I can stand on all sorts of things and just be like, as long as I have, <clears throat> as long as I have my snowboard on my feet, yeah, I feel great. The second that I don't have a snowboard on my feet anymore, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, this is a bit, this is a bit sketchy. Can I put my edges on? As soon as I got my edges <laughs> on, I feel a lot yeah. better. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, I yeah. want to ask you a little bit more about um, skiing at Revelstoke. Um, sure. I haven't been to Revelstoke myself when we were based in um, uh, Big White. Um, when our kids were little, my husband, actually, we kind of drew, you know, who's going to draw the short straw? And he yep. he went over and I minded the kids. <laughs> and I can you can hear the yeah. This is how my wife feels about Alaska, just so we have a... Yeah, another. there we go. And it... And, <laughs> This whole conversation is like, oh, when are we going to do all these things? Um, but, yeah, I mean, a lot has changed in Revelstoke, obviously, the last sort of five to seven years. But tell us about Revelstoke now. Like what, I mean, is it like a thriving, like full-on no. town? No. Like, yeah. No. And look, for, for us it's been weird though as well. Like uh, it's probably not been its typical self since we've been here because, we got here December 19, the pandemic hit in March, uh, the hill closed down that year three weeks early. Um, so we didn't even get spring skiing, which we were a bit dark about. Oh. And then and then it was like the, the question came down of are we leaving, are we staying? And then we stayed and then uh, the next winter came along and uh, last season, so not just this past one, but what are we at, 21, 22? um it was a locals only mountain it was like literally nobody else here from anywhere no americans no it it is the dream (laughs) and it was it was a dream because we were finding powder like two weeks after a storm because there was just nobody here and so uh and then this year was a it started out (laughs) pandemic-y and then And then by the end of it, like we still had to wear masks everywhere we were going. We had to wear masks on the gondolas and and the rest of it. But then um, uh, the end of the season was semi-normal and people were kind of coming back and skiing again. So it was it's been weird. But as 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 far as a town's concerned, it's an amazing town. I'm a very quiet uh, town kind of guy. I'm not a Whistler skier. Uh, we met in Banff years ago. I did my party time. Yeah. Uh, I'm here to 
whiskey, not here to drink anymore. So this suits me quite well. But um, first and foremost, Revelstoke is a train town. It's not a resort town. It's a working class blue collar town. And it's logging and railway that keeps this place running. Uh, the mountain is, I want to say it's 12 years old now. I think yeah, 12 or 13 max. Probably, max. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's a very new resort in that scale of things, I guess, if you will. Uh, it has three lifts um, and the gondolas. Uh, so you have either stoke chair or ripper chair, and then you've got a new one. Um, kind the of middle of the chair, isn't it? That's yeah, the middle chair, which yeah. we don't ride very often, so it's sticking no. under, sticking in my brain. Uh, it's more of just a connector yeah. now, and then uh, stellar, stellar chair, and then. Um, but the trees, the terrain, the the pitch here. This is a very black diamond mountain with some blue stuff and a couple of greens put in between. It's and a tough yeah yeah well the greens are the the greens are cat traps that's exactly right the blues i mean we after being here for three seasons straight like we can take you to any of the nice hidden local spots now too and just where we would spend most of our times when we're actually skiing like the just putting on the boots and walking a little bit in revelstoke gets you a lot right like it's it doesn't take long to get you into something deep and steep again just by just having a little bit of a stroll going up the ridge yeah and going up into the ridge head up to sub peak and stuff and so um but the the vibe in town you know it's it's definitely different than somewhere like bam for big white um people are here to be outside this isn't a you know like i just from my Banff days it was all about nightclubs and partying and skiing yeah. Here it's about skiing, outdoors, camping, hiking, you know, and then we'll have a beer afterwards in the parking lot and then we'll go home and we go do the same thing again tomorrow. So it's, have, you, have you met up with Nat Segal there? Do you ski a bit with her? Or Yeah, um, Nat and her sister Anna. So Anna used to work for us at our, at our ski shop and Nat and Anna, I actually had set them up years ago with Points North. Yeah. And they went and did their, their fear film. Um, what yeah. was it called? Um, Mountain. Oh. oh, what was it called? My girls had the poster on their back of their toilet door, and it's yeah. signed by them. Go and keep loving the mountains. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I've, they, I've known them for quite a while. Nat's Nat's over here. She's working for Pal uh, over oh, on yeah. this side, and she's been uh, unfortunately stricken with some injuries the last couple of seasons. But she's she's coming around. Um, I've, we've seen a few Aussies, but the same same again. Like pandemic hit, they all went home. You know, yeah. and they or they stayed out their visas till they could go, and then they went home, and then no, none came back because yeah. nobody could leave. Nobody could leave Australia. So, and like everywhere, the, the town itself has really been struggling for staff. Um, so, yeah. if you want to work, there's plenty of jobs, but unfortunately, there's just not a lot of accommodation. There's just when it's. Are we going to fix this now, ski towns? Hey, we're just going through it in Australia as well. Yeah. I mean, you're about to come yeah. home to it, but it's, that's a whole other subject, isn't it? Really? But yeah. Well, I mean, they're here. <laughs> the resort is. I mean, you think about the resort has no staff for com. Well, it does now, but it had no staff for com, and they're about to build a whole nother apart um, hotel. They're in the the process of it right now, and that's going to have 
a whole section of Staphacom in it because they would take up 20 to 40% of the available Staphacom in town. Yeah. Right. So all the other businesses, the restaurants and the, the bars and everything else, they're they're just struggling because everybody wants to come here, but nobody can either A afford to live here uh, or find a place to live. I think Airbnb you know. has a lot to do with this. <laughs> it's a it's a big part. And in the last little while, yeah, t- totally. And Airbnb, they have pretty specific rules here. Like you have to be in the right neighborhoods to actually have an Airbnb in, yeah, in, in Rebel Stove. Yeah. yeah. So they, if you don't, if you're not in the zone to actually do it, you you just can't do it and you can't make any money off it. And now they've even brought in like, cause even our place, we have people below us. Um, but in the original house we were living in, it had uh, like a caretaker suite. And the new rule is, is that uh, if you have an Airbnb, somebody actually has to live on the property. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and this for that, a lot of people, that's this caretaker position, which generally is just a ski bum taking the position right now i'll take out your garbage or cut your lawn or whatever it is yeah, so yeah. i can have a place back, to live like back in the old days back in the 90s when you could do yeah, that exactly <laughs> but as a but as a mountain i have to say after being here three years and i have a lot of favorite mountains but um this is way up there the snow quality the snow quantity i mean we had just over 10 meters of snow this year it was just bought like it just it did not stop snowing all That's year pretty wild because everywhere else kind of got a really not a great season. Average. Yeah, average. maybe get average and there's regular. Our, yeah, so the first year we were here, 1920 was amazing. Um, like we landed and there was already probably beginning of December and there was probably already like six to eight feet of snow on the ground when we got here. Yeah. Uh, last year with uh, in the middle of the pandemic, uh, there was no snow in town. Uh, almost the whole winter, which is fine because I, the shoveling <laughs> is out of control here. Um, but the <laughs> it's, it's awful; it doesn't stop. Uh, <laughs> but up on the mountain, it was was beautiful. It was powder everywhere. Uh, and then this year, with we had almost ten meters, and by about well, I left in February. Uh, the end of January, the walls in my driveway were easily eight feet tall. Like I had to stop shoveling. I had to call a company with a with a front end loader to come in and start doing it because yeah. I just couldn't I couldn't lift it up anymore yeah, and put it up. Yeah. So yeah. So and we're in a temperate rainforest here. So inland temperate rainforest. It's one of the only ones in the world. Um, so it actually has a very high moisture content here, which just promotes the amount of snow. Now, in saying that, all of that, the bonus to this place is that we're five hours away from any major metropolis. So Vancouver's five and a half hours away if you want to come this way. Calgary's five hours over the pass if you're going to do that. Um, So it's hard to get to, right? So it's not... I think for a lot of the people and talking to the marketing manager up at the Hill, he he said, look, Australians are a tough one. He wants them here because he knows, you know, we're a, a major skiing population he goes but people get put off by the fact that they got to do the 17 hour flight then they got to do the connector up to vancouver Kelowna. then they got to get in a shuttle after that or rent a car and you know australians are skiers but they're not amazing snow drivers and this is like this is the real deal this is no joke out here right like if you get snowing that we've been blocked in yeah we've been locked into into revelstoke numerous times from both sides like you just can't get in or out of town so uh all of that sort of stuff kind of puts aussies off from coming here for the distance and for the trip but in reality like 
it's so quiet a lift line here and we only have three lifts yeah. like a lift line here the max max 10 to 15 minutes like max and that would be on a busy saturday or sunday afternoon Mm. Unless know, it's like the, 50 centimeters overnight and all the locals come out. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. And then they're, li- well, they're lined up at, they're lined up at 5.30 in the morning. You can, <laughs> yeah, can check yeah. them out on the webcam. They know it's snowing. They're all out there cooking on their barbecues and whatnot. <laughs> it's full. But even then, like, but that, that sort of thing wasn't existing over the pandemic because we yeah. weren't allowed to do it. We weren't allowed to socialize. So look, I, all those sorts of things that come to say with, tongue in cheek but we just we didn't get the same experience obviously as if there was no pandemic but there was and if you got a so better got, experience if you got the mountain to yourself for a year man i would right? have loved that <laughs> <laughs> right? like when am i ever when are I, even my kids i'm like you know you're never going to be able to say this like ever again in your lifetime that you had a mountain yeah. all to yourself and yeah. i mean on the kids side of things as far as the mountains concerned um Finn struggled a little bit right off the bat because it is pretty hard. And he was just, just seven when we got over here. Uh, Ellie is a a strong skier and has been skiing with, um, she was in Japan with us at like 18 months. So she's been, she's been well and truly versed, but um, she's been skiing with the Rebbe ski club for the last three seasons and just, you know, is tearing up the mountain now. So I kind of feeling bad for her when we take her back to australia and she's got like two weeks well two weeks after we get home she's got a ski camp up at bullard you know like a training thing for the interschools and it's like you know buller rebel star oh, she versus- <laughs> Just- oh, she's gonna be doing like 10 turns and they're like right get back on the t-bar for an hour and go up and yeah. do another 10 turns yeah and- that's right yeah. <laughs> so- <laughs> she won't turn That'll be her thing. She just oh, won't yeah. turn anyway. Yeah. Oh, she was, she texted me in Alaska this year. Cause I, I showed her ski tracks and showed her how to like track her speed and oh, yeah. how many runs she was doing. And uh, she texted me at one point and she had like 107 kilometers an hour coming down the front of, uh, down the front of Revy. And I was like, I yep, I'm officially you're at that point now where you're, you're Job's done. Faster. Yeah, um, um, Job's um, done. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh so, gosh, good. Well, well, we, well, we could chat to you all day. Honestly, I just love it. I love, I love the life that you've lived. It's you've kept it in the snow industry. Whereas, you know, I was in there for a bit and I had to leave. Well, I didn't have to. It was a choice. And now we're back. Now we're kind of getting back into it again. And it's like, oh my gosh, okay, Alaska will be. It's there. It's the driving force that keeps me hunting back and wanting more 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 than happy to have you up there at any point it's uh it's definitely an eye-opener and it's it's like it should be on everybody's bucket list no question yeah for sure for sure absolutely it is well we kind of finish up all our interviews with um asking where your favorite place is to ski in the world tough question Oh, I'm going to let, yeah, it is a tough question. Uh, right now, obviously it's going to be Revy, um, for anything hardcore, it's definitely Alaska and for powder and the quality of it would be Japan. I just, yeah, we used to have signs all over our, our ski shop that just said Japan or Alaska. And it just always triggered people's, you know, thought process. <laughs> what where, what part of a Japan did you like? Um, well, we did a lot in North Island. Mon did a few weeks up in Ferrano. Um, we got spoiled. We came over Feb. We went February 19, just before we did this big trip. We did a big family trip with um, my wife's family and we went to Miyoko Kogan and we had 
the yes. most amazing snow while we were there. It was just, it was seriously bottomless. But um, yeah, all I like there's, it's just everywhere. Wherever the wherever the powder is good, that's that's usually where we're happiest. You know, I people always get to the top of the hill and they're like, okay, where are we going? And my answer is always down. And I really don't <laughs> care where we're going. Just let's go down. <laughs> Whatever it is. It's going to be good wherever we go. I remember when we used to, like, I used to teach skiing in um, Deer Valley and we'd have a lot of New Yorkers come out for, for to, to Deer Valley from uh, New York and they'd be like, and the they're like, okay, right, where are we going now? I go, well, just calm down. We are on a lift. Enjoy where we are. And when we get to the top, we're just going to go down and enjoy the run. Yeah. And they were like, oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> That's a thing. Yes, couldn't is. understand the concept yeah. everything had to yeah. be a million miles an hour i'm like no yeah. calm calm down <laughs> we've really worked hard to make our life uh what it is uh neither yeah. one of us you know we're both we're both hardcore and passionate about what we do and anybody who does know me and knows that i can sit and talk about alaska for you know hours upon hours and stories upon stories but uh i think it's just it's once it's in you and it's ingrained in you you know that's that's it and i love i've really learned to love mountain biking like i love mountain biking now but it will never take over that feeling of sitting on my back foot and just ripping powder through the trees somewhere mm, so how true and you know what your yeah. your photos capture every time i look at one of your photos i'm like oh my gosh it just takes me instantly back there so thank you for that as well you're amazing Perfect. photography great yeah. thank you yeah, i, I have shared that. your page awesome. many many times uh, tj photography awesome. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, guys. Appreciate yeah, well, good it. Good luck with it's the good with fun. the move, and um, hopefully we'll catch up with you again. Yes, we'll see you down on the slopes in Australia next time. Yeah, Bullock, can't wait. <laughs> Is that cool. will you be spending the season there? No, we're not spending the season anywhere. We actually haven't even bought season passes this year for the first time. Um, we just, I think, the big thing is we just got to get ourselves back and ingrained back into society. Uh, we're not we're all expecting a massive Canada come down when we come home uh, and I think you know I'm not like I said I've I'm kind of all mountain and so going to Melbourne for me was tough as it was back in the day like just separating myself and I think one of the big things for me right now is like at any given point I can type into Facebook or into Messenger and say hey I'm going out mountain biking I'm going skiing and I will have five or six people within 15 minutes go, yep, cool, meet you there. All right, sweet. Yeah, I'm, I'm just leaving work or I can leave work now. I'll, I'll meet you down there. And doing that in a city is is a nightmare. You know, people's schedules are crazy and, you know, families and kids and school yeah. programs and all the work, all the rest of it. And, you know, we're, I think that's the big thing for us is just learning to deal with all that. It, it sounds weird to say it, but being in the position that we've been in the last two and a half years has really kind of separated us from i don't want to say from reality because this is our reality right now but it's not city schedules life. yeah schedules. <laughs> i mean i even hear my schedule i gotta get up and go skiing that's part of the schedule i gotta get up yeah, and yeah. Go, like, those are intimate but i gotta fit all the other but in, in the meantime like and even right now like we can pick the kids up and we still have three hours of the bike park open at, after school so at 2.30, we pick them up and take them straight to the mountain, you know, like literally two minutes away from here. So it's Amazing. that sort of thing that's going to be hard to just, you know, the kids' freedoms, you know, they've just gotten to the point where Ellie has just been allowed to, for the first time at 12 years old, go off and ski on her own with her friends in this ginormous mountain. 
And that was a big deal. You know, that's yeah, a huge deal. Uh, mm-hmm. Finn being able to just jump on his mountain bike and go and, you know, stop at nine people's houses and they've all got mountain bikes and where are we going? Let's go to the jumps and rah, rah, rah. And we're going back to live in a little cul-de-sac in the middle of Camberwell. And, you know, and there's creepy and strange people in the city. And now all of a sudden you're just like, there's the rains on everybody. And yeah, so yeah. So yeah, we'll definitely have a different like a come down, but hey, go and just, get in, just go in the car and drive out to Hay or go to Uluru or somewhere and get, get that experience. Go and get the bush, go bush, don't go yeah. beach because that's not recommended yes. for you. No. It's a big country of sand, though. I can't get away from it. <laughs> you just get red dirt. <laughs> or white. Yeah, that's right, red dirt or white sand. Oh, gosh. Awesome. Well, it was awesome talking to you. Thank you, yeah. TJ. Thanks, guys. Thank Appreciate you. it. No worries. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Loving the Snow Life with Emma and Tennille. If you've learned a handy tip or two, then happy days. To catch all our episodes, subscribe on iTunes. It's free. Head over to www.lovingthesnowlife.com.au for more info and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Loving the Snow Life. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, then email us on our website. Thanks to everyone who leaves a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to share our episodes on your social media.